just housekeeping things as I looked through the notes and thought back about what we talked about last night and that kind of thing. Um, The first one is this. One of the things I love about worship and having worship when we we do a weekend retreat and all the different parts of it that we put together and the pieces that are a part of it, one of the main reasons I love worship is not only because music touches our heart and gets the truth into our soul in a way that words just spoken over us can't, but because it often draws us back to who God is over and over again all weekend while we're examining our own hearts and we're looking at what is this thing called belonging and where am I at on this journey of belonging and what are the hurdles to belonging, we can get kind of introspective. And I think there's a value in looking honestly at ourselves, but in the middle of that, we have to turn and lift our eyes to Jesus and continue to lift our eyes on Jesus because we center back into, it's that, it's that plumb line idea. If you were at church a few weeks ago, Brian Candelo brought out a plumb line, which is simply a cord with a weight at the end of it so that it hangs straight. And when we worship God, we're bringing ourselves up next to that plumb line and we're remembering that he is the one who is true and that we come and we submit and surrender our lives to him and his truth. And he's the one that we trust with this journey that we're on. And so I so value worship that brings us into the center of who God is and reminds us over and over and over that, that the truth is who he is which is much truer than who we are, and yet he has said some true things about who we are, and that's what we want to explore this weekend. Another one, I was just, last night I was sitting and praying and processing, and I was touching back on the word that Trina brought. If you're not going through the door, why are you on the porch? Or get off the porch. Are you dabbling in temptation? And I want to just bring this as a teaching moment to us as a group, that sometimes we feel like discipleship, or if we're coming to talk about belonging, that that it should all be warm and fuzzy. And honestly, discipleship is a mix of invitation and challenge. And if you don't have both, then you're missing something because God is a mix of invitation and challenge. He invites us in. He loved us while we were still sinners. There's so much amazing warm fuzzy about who God is and yet he calls us to truth and he has a plumb line and he has words for us like, if you're not going through the door, why are you on the porch? What are you dabbling in? Let's get off the porch. And so as we go through the weekend, I just would like that to be kind of just a, a, um, a life skill learning moment for you that when something feels kind of, it rubs you wrong, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not God, right? God isn't all warm and fuzzy. He also challenges us because just like he kicked them out of the garden, it was his mercy. And bringing words to us, like if you're dabbling with something you know you shouldn't do, you need to get off the porch, that's his mercy, Because he knows if you walk through that door, you will not be happy. He knows you will be happier. You will be more joyful. It may be painful. It may be hard. It may be a hard journey. But he knows that the life that you were created to live is not on that porch or through that door. And so he mixes invitation with challenge. And we need to be ready to respond to both. We need to be ready to respond to both. The other thing is, as, as we talk through this weekend, there might be things that come up that you just need to let settle for a while. And, and just kind of hang on to him because it may be, um, for example, with this word last night, you might go, well, that doesn't apply to me right now, but God may bring it back around later. So just let some of what's said and sung and the conversations that you have over meals or at the activities, just let them settle and let God bring them back up and bubble them up when he's ready to show you the truth that he has in those for you. The other thing I wanted to ask just straight off the bat this morning, and and honestly, you guys, there's no pressure in this, which the gals that I talk to know that, but those of you who are 
not in the inside loop of the email that I sent to those who I invited to be voices this weekend might be like, oh no, what if nobody says anything? And that isn't what we're doing at all. What we're doing is, Holy Spirit, have you given anybody something that you want to share that Jennifer isn't prepared to say that needs to come from another voice? So for those of you who I emailed who are ready, do you have a story or a word or something that God has prompted on your heart that you wanted to share with the women? And I'll come back to that at the end as well. Okay. Yes. I wondered. This is Melissa. Melissa has been in the back of our retreats for years. And she's my dear friend. And I said, hey. Um, I know I should say this because I'm crying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I don't cry. Um, I don't know how this is going to connect for you guys, but I was diagnosed with leukemia right after Christmas a couple years ago. And my first bone marrow biopsy was completely dry. I had no marrow left. I was very close to being dead. Um, I'm clearly not dead. <laughs> um, and we're so glad. <laughs> but... <laughs> God. Um, a couple of things. One is that I walked through that journey with a great deal of faith, and that did not come because I am a faithful person. It came because God gave that to me, yeah. not because of anything that I had done. I could tell you that over and over again about how he showed up when I was like, why would you do that? Um, but the other thing is, if you have no marrow, you have no immune system. If your bones are dry, you have no protection against the things that can attack you. God calls us to have dry bones that live again. And for me, he actually did that. They actually are working again. It's not my immune system anymore. It's someone else's, which is amazing in and of itself. <laughs> um, but if you are walking into this room without the protection of bones that are alive in God, you are you're just uh, vulnerable to attack, and you have nothing to fight that off. So let listen with an ear to become alive again. Amen. We could be done and go to the beach now, but again, <laughs> I stayed up late. This is why I sense that Holy Spirit was inviting me to do something a little bit different and to let some awkwardness hang in the air to say, can, can somebody, because God is giving messages and some of, some of them to you. If you were not on my email and your heart is burning with, there's something I need to share with these women, would you find me between sessions and talk with me about what God's putting on your heart and we'll talk together about whether or not that might have a place to share with the whole group, all right? I was listening to a song this morning, Melissa. It's been my, it's been my on repeat and on replay uh, for a couple of months now that is a uh, Lauren Daigle song called Come Alive or Dry Bones. Um, you call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. Um, so one of the things that I brought up last night, but I wasn't really prepared to teach on it because it was just kind of a spur of the moment, hey, have you noticed this, was this idea in Genesis about the helper, that there was no helper suitable for Adam. And so last night I did a little more of my research and found the scripture verses that I wanted to bring to you, but because I just mentioned it off the cuff, I didn't really have it ready last night when I was talking. And that's this, which is just kind of a separate idea from the whole belonging piece, although for some of us, 
we need to know this because as women, we've wondered what God's heart towards us is. What is our place? What is our role? What does the Bible actually say about women? What does it mean that wives are to submit? What does it mean that, what, what is our place? And so it's not what we're talking about this weekend, but I love this picture. So the word that is used in Genesis for there was no helper suitable for him is the word azer. It's spelled E-Z-E-R pronounced Azer, and it's used throughout the Old Testament, and there are several places. If you, um, by the way, I've never gone to Bible school. You don't actually have to know Hebrew or Greek to do this. If you have a computer and you know how to go online, and you go to Strong's Concordance, you go to the verse you're looking at, you click on a word, and up pops a screen that tells you what that word is in the original and where else that word is used in Scripture. And so one of the things you can do with that, and here I am doing a teaching tool again, but um, one of the things you can do with that as a student of God's word is a lot of times you'll look at a word in a verse and you'll go, well, what does it mean? What's the definition? What is God saying with this word? And a mistake that people make is to go to the dictionary to define the word. But the issue isn't what does our dictionary in 21st century Um, America say about this word. The issue is, what did the author mean with the word when it was written? And the best way to find that out is to look at where else that word was used in scripture and what the context was that it was being used as, and that will give you a good picture of what it meant when it was used in the situation that you're studying. Does this make sense? So as a scholar of the Bible, we don't look for what are the definitions that people are telling us today. We're looking for how else was it used. And so when you go through and you look at this word azer and you see how else it was used, I just pulled a few examples. But in uh, Psalm 33:20, it says, for the Lord, he is our help and our shield. He is our azer and our shield. Psalm 70 verse 5, oh God, you are my help and my deliverer. You are my azer and my deliverer. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the word that he said in the garden when he said, there is no helper suitable for Adam. There is no azer to walk alongside him. So if you have been raised in a place where the the view of women was a little bit lesser because men have a higher place with God, can you just know that azer is no small word? (laughs) And that you are needed and that you have a purpose and that God's creation of marriage and the partnership between men and women is so far beyond our wildest imagination. And if, and if you are stuck in a place where that's not your reality, um, come and chat with me. Come and talk with me. Let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to reveal that truth. But, but don't stay stuck in this belief that, oh, you know, God just created women to be the little helper. Um, it, it has American connotations that are not what God's connotations were. One more clarifying teaching point before we dive into the message. Um, Over the weekend, I started last night, and we're going to continue today um, talking about the enemy of our soul. The devil, Satan, uh, he has many names. Um, He was an angel who rebelled against God, and when he rebelled, took a third of the angels with him. Um, His name is Satan or the devil. Uh, The angels that fell with him are demons. There is a spiritual battle outside of what you and I see. In Ephesians, it tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. There is a spiritual reality, and we don't talk about it a lot, but it's important because, um, because the Bible tells us about the enemy. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. And again, in John 8, 44, Jesus is talking to, his, uh, to the Pharisees, actually, and he says, You belong to your father, the devil, for there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so I don't want us to get caught up in who the enemy is. I want us to get caught up in who God is. But as we talk about recognizing where we have been lied to and the lies that we've believed and stepping into God's truth, we acknowledge that there is an enemy of our soul who is looking for who he can devour, and we need to stand firm in the faith and see God's truth and have some healing prayer with each other to allow the Holy Spirit to do some healing so that we don't walk according to the lies of the enemy. We are not wise if we give him too much credit. We serve a God who is stronger than any other, but we are not wise if we don't at least acknowledge that there is an enemy who is lying to us and we want to expose the lies of the enemy, ask God to expose the lies of the enemy and walk in the truth. So that's why we uh, are talking about the enemy this week and I just wanted to make it clear who I meant, what I meant when I said the enemy of our soul. And if you look in your booklet, which doesn't have page numbers, which we realized a little bit later, we're on session two today and there's a couple corrections to this first page. And so the first one is I kind of titled this lesson based on what the lie is, and I was looking at it last night, and I went, I don't want to title this based on what the lie is. I want to title this based on what the truth is. So if you will take your pen and cross out, I'm not worthy of belonging, and write, uh, what did I say to write? Believe you belong. That's where we're going to land today. We're going to land with believe you belong. And I got a little dyslexic with my verses, and so where it says John 15, 18 to 27, that will not make much sense if you look that up. Um, but if you look up John 18, 15 to 27, you will be right where I'm teaching from today. So that's John 18, 15 to 27. All right, there's all of our intro. Let's get into what we're talking about today. I mentioned last night, that we're going to take a look at what are, the, what are the lies that we've believed about belonging. Another way to look at that would be what's the hurdle that gets in our way of belonging, of, of feeling this sense of belonging in a particular place. And so this morning, we're going to look at how our past is a hurdle to belonging because we've accepted some lies. And those lies have become belief systems. Let's just pause here for a second. Sometimes, even early on in our childhood, there's an experience that we have, and that experience causes us to believe a certain thing. And this may not have ever even been a conscious thought process or thought pattern for you, and a lot of it could have been formulated when you were so young that you wouldn't have understood it anyway. But an experience happened, it created a belief about yourself in some way, a lie that was spoken to your heart, the core of your heart, and you began to live out that belief without even knowing it, and it becomes a belief system. So you get into your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and you bump into this thing that just isn't working out for you. And you're like, what is going on here? Why do I get so emotionally worked up when this particular thing happens? Why does this kind of a situation trigger emotion that is way beyond what the situation merits? What's going on with me when I'm stuck? And what we find and what we realize is we're bumping into, as an adult, a belief system that's been in place since we were very young that served us well as a young child, perhaps was even a survival mechanism to survive the reality of our upbringing, and yet now it doesn't serve us well anymore, and it's actually not even true, and still trying to function according to that belief system is causing us quite a bit of grief, but we don't really know what it is, and so it's one of the lies of the enemy that needs to be exposed. Um, let me give you an example. I have to think for a second. I had an experience as a young child that I, um, I remembered as an adult when I was walking through this journey with a counselor. And I, my journey and 
if you've been around for long, you've heard me say this before, um, I am a perfectionist. I have this driving thing inside me to always do the right thing, to always know what the right thing is, and to not make any mistakes. And I figure that if I can do that, then everybody's always going to be happy with me, and God's going to be happy with me, and it's all going to be good because I did good enough to just always know what the right thing was to do. And that's just me. That's my personality. That's how I was wired. There were things in my upbringing that affirmed that. There were things in my upbringing that could have spoken against that. But as I got into adulthood, that was a driving force in my life, was this sense of perfectionism. And as I was walking with my kids, because I don't know if you can hear what I'm saying, but that actually doesn't work out so well. (laughs) Uh, Incredible amounts of pressure for a completely impossible goal that leave me totally exhausted and frustrated and frozen in stress and sometimes anxiety because I know I can't always do the right thing, so sometimes it's even hard to just get out of bed and get out the door because what if I make a mistake today? So this is the journey I've been walking with my counselor for several years. I am not done with it, but I, am, I have made progress. There are places where I have learned to be much more kind to myself. But along the way, there was a time with my counselor that I had a, uh, I remembered an, a situation where someone had gotten very angry with me and walked away from the conversation and walked away from the situation. And I remember thinking that I, I remember my part of the conversation and that it all made sense to me. Like it was totally logical. What, I was probably six. What I was saying made sense. And I was very logical, but, but I was functioning with a six-year-old brain. And I was in an argument with somebody else. And at the end of the argument, I didn't ever give way. I just stuck to what I thought was true. And, and that person got very angry with me and walked away. And in that moment, there was this relational break that went to my heart. And as I was sitting with my counselor and she was asking, what what, it, what are you feeling in that moment? What I was thinking was, please come back. Please come back. I will do anything. I will say anything you want me to say. I will agree with whatever you say is true in this situation. But don't walk away from me mad. Because my heart just got wounded. A relationship just got broken. I thought we were just in a conversation about this. But when it happened, the the walking away was a broken place for me. And that experience created a lie inside me that was, I don't always do and say the right thing to keep relationships whole. So I need to figure out what other people want me to do to keep relationships whole. Now, I was six. I didn't know that's what I had just processed. I didn't know that was the lie that I believed, but something happened in my past that created a hurdle to belonging in my future because now the grid that I saw relationships through was, just come back. I will say whatever you want me to say. I will agree with whatever you are telling me is your reality in this situation. I will wait to formulate my opinions until I know your opinions because I don't want our relationship to be broken. Belonging depends on me doing the right thing all the time. Belonging depends on me being a person who can always figure out what you want and who can always do what you want so that you will always be happy with me. Belonging depends on me. Belonging depends on me being perfect. And friends, that is a lot of pressure to live with for 44 years. And some of you have been living with it. Because as I've been telling my story, your heart has been burning inside you. Because I know I'm not the only little girl who had a conversation with somebody who walked away angry. And I'm not saying we all respond the same way. And I know that several of you are here and going, well, that's not my story. What I'm sharing my story with is to give you a glimpse of how something that happens before we're even aware of the fact that there are belief systems can form a belief system that sticks with us for a long, long time. 
that sticks with us for a long, long time. So maybe for you, in your childhood, your best efforts to please your parents were never good enough. Or maybe like I shared last night at school, there was a reaction of other kids that caused you to pull into yourself and to question what was wrong with you. Or maybe there's a situation where you believe that you failed and you failed so bad that you're afraid of trying again. Maybe it was as an adult. Maybe you were betrayed in a relationship that was supposed to be your home. And now you're afraid that you did something to deserve it. And you don't belong anywhere anymore. And you certainly don't deserve to have a home where your heart feels at home. Maybe a job situation turned bad and you were let go or a relationship that you thought would stand the test of time disappeared or someone you trusted betrayed your trust. I don't know what it is, but things that happen in our past can create a hurdle because they cause us to believe lies about ourselves and who we are and then we don't, have, we don't have the ability to enter into relationship as who we are. We're trying to be who we think we're supposed to be. Maybe there's something that you did that you think is so bad so evil, so sinful, that you don't deserve to belong ever. Not to others, not to God, not to anybody. One of the lies the enemy tells us is this. You don't belong. You will never belong. You are too fill in the blank. And you guys, he tailors his deceptions to our weakness and our insecurity. And so I don't know what your blank is, but, but here are some of them. You know, you'll never belong. You're too needy, bossy, talkative, quiet, critical, passive, sinful, evil, broken, shy, confused, confusing, tall, short, fat, skinny. I don't know what the lie is that the enemy has spewed at you, but I believe he's spewed a lie at you and said, you are too fill in the blank to belong. The lie continues, you're not enough of one thing or of one thing, or you're too much of another, or you failed too much, or you just don't know how, you're not smart enough, there's something wrong with you. You are not worthy of belonging. And at the core, that's the lie that we want to expose this morning. That's the lie that we're getting at. Because ladies, it is a lie from the pit of hell. And if I had to guess, I would guess that somewhere between 99.5 and 100% of us have felt that lie at some point. You are not worthy of belonging. We might not have put it in those words. We might not have understood what was going on. But something in us believed that something was intrinsically wrong inside us to be able to feel the thing that we were desiring to feel. Because remember what we talked about last night. This is a universal longing for belonging that God planted in us when he created us because he created us to be in relationship with himself and to be in relationship with others. So there is a hole in a heart that longs for belonging and some of us need to stop right now and get rid of the lie that is shame that you even feel the need. Some of you feel ashamed that you feel lonely and feel like you want deeper relationships and a place to belong and a place to connect. And you felt like the thing that's intrinsically wrong is that you have that need. See how twisted it gets? And so some of us need to stop right now and say, the lie is that I'm ashamed that I have a need to belong and I need to give you permission and say God's truth is that he created you with the need to belong. He created you with a need to belong to himself and a need to belong with others in relationship. If you want deep community where you are known and you know others and you are loved as you are and it is a safe place for you, that is a God-given desire. That is not being too needy. That is how God created us. 
And so when that need rises up and something comes at us that says, I will never have that need filled, my heart will never feel the fulfillment of that desire because there's something wrong with me. I've messed up too bad. I wasn't right in the first place. Something is wrong with me. The lie is so powerful because it causes us to go into hiding. The thing that we need is for our true self to be known and loved by God and others. And in our self-protection, we pull into hiding and we don't bring our true self to God and others. And so while, I would, while we might say, I need to feel connected to others, really the problem is in us to start with. And it's not the problem is in us, I'm bad. It's the problem is in us, I'm broken and I need God to heal me because I can't, I talked about this last night, I can't receive the love and, and, a, and approval of others until I receive the love and approval of God. It's why the lie is so powerful. We try to hide the parts of us we believe to be offensive and put forward the face with others that we want them to see. We approach our relationships, our families, and our communities with a mask on, presenting a false self instead of our true self. It feels safer to live out of the false self we, because we figure out what people want to hear and it feels good to be affirmed when they like us. So my false self feels more comfortable in this situation because my false self knows what to do and what to say and is easier to get along with sometimes, quite frankly. And we also know when we're presenting our false self that if we do get rejected, it doesn't hurt quite as bad because they aren't actually rejecting our heart. They aren't rejecting our true self. So, so we can, that fear of rejection that we're going to talk about a little bit more in the next session today, it just feels safer to live out of our false self at times. So if I don't put my real vulnerable beating heart out there, then it can't get squashed. And I've learned enough times that there's something intrinsically wrong with me, so I'm not going to put my heart out there to get squashed again. And this is where we sit in the lie until we see the truth. Until we get that invitation from God until he exposes the lie of the enemy and exposes the strategy of the enemy. And he says, friends, ladies, this is a lie from the pit of hell. And there is a truth that God has given us. I want to take a look at some scripture and a story that we see um, in the Gospels with Jesus that talks about this truth that he offers us. And so the, uh, the story is found starting in... Um, there's one verse in John 14, but I'll be starting reading in John 18 if you want to look along. So this is during the time when um, Jesus had, uh, was just about to be betrayed and just about to be um, crucified in Jerusalem, and he is talking with his disciples. And in um, John chapter 13, I believe, yep, John chapter 13, verse 38, um, Simon Peter and, and Jesus are having this conversation. And starting in verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Peter says, but why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Uh, Peter understood that the situation had reached a critical mass, that he understood that what he was committing to was being willing to die for Jesus. And Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So here is this man, Peter, who has been a follower of Jesus who Jesus has changed his name from Simon to Peter and said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter has kind of been a leader among the disciples. He probably considers himself as Jesus' right-hand man. And they're sitting here and Jesus says, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. 
And we pick it up in John 18. John 18, verse 15. Remember where I got dyslexic. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. Sets up this conversation. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. I've done that. Maybe not around a fireplace when Jesus was about to be crucified, but in a situation where I just was kind of worried about what people would think if I really stood up for what I believed or if I really let it out there that my heart was just so fully devoted to God. No, I am not, he said. And you drop down to verse 25. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, that's a story we didn't read, when they came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter actually attacked with a sword, cut off a guy's ear, Jesus rebuked him and healed it and put the ear back on the guy. It's kind of a cool story that's just tucked away. The, the, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off said, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. In Luke 22, the parallel passage that tells us this story, verse 62, it says, And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly. Friends, this is that place where as a result of something we've done, we just feel like it's never going to be okay again. It'll never be okay again. I've blown it. I followed Jesus for three years. He renamed me. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. I offered to die for him less than 24 hours ago, and I have just denied him three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. I've said, I don't even know him. Rising up out of, out of the fear inside me that I didn't even know was there. This denial. Friends, when we are at our lowest, whether it's as a result of what someone else has done to us or a result of something we have done, I think we understand what Peter felt like in that moment. That's the moment that we're intersecting right now. Because what happens when we, when we ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to help us expose the lies of the enemy, what happens is we need to go to the place in our soul where that lie was spoken and actually Rehear it. Feel it. What was going on? What happened in my soul that caused that lie to take root so strongly and allowed Jesus to meet us in that place? See, sometimes when we recognize a lie, for example, I'm not worthy of belonging, we want to put a Bible verse on it and say, no, 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 see, here's the truth. Take the Bible verse and go hear the truth. But the issue is we have to hear the truth at the soul level where the lie got its roots in the first place. And so sometimes we need to sit with Peter outside the gate weeping bitterly as we recognize what was happening in our soul at the moment that we believed the lie that said that we were not worthy. And friends, as I've experienced in myself, there are multiple moments that speak to this lie. And so I don't at all mean this as hopelessness, but I mean this actually as hopeful. If you feel like, Jennifer, I've been there, I've done this, and yet I'm still stuck here. 
Jennifer, I've been there, I've done it again, and I'm still stuck here. This is the journey we are on. There's nothing wrong with you that new layers come up of the lies of the enemy. His whole job, his whole role, he's the father of lies. This is what he does. He lies all of our lives long, and we get to go and remind ourselves of the truth and be invited by the love of God and be challenged by the truth of God and become disciples of Jesus and follow him. And we, we begin over time to recognize certain lies and to go, no, I know that's a lie. I don't believe that lie. I don't live by that lie. When God has helped us and healed that particular lie, he then exposes another lie. <laughs> And so there's nothing to be ashamed of, and yet we need to sit in this place with Peter, weeping outside the gate to recognize what is the lie that took root in my soul so that Jesus can speak his truth to the very core of where the lie creates feelings, not where the lie intersects with your brain, where the lie intersects with your soul. And it's the Holy Spirit who can give healing to that level. And so we see Jesus doing that for Peter in John 21. After the resurrection, when he conquered death for us, he then had several appearances to his disciples, and one of them is recorded in, in John chapter 21. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? they had been fishing. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. After Jesus died, he went back to fishing. So where Jesus found him when he was appearing to the disciples was fishing. Friends, Peter was so destitute that he thought his future was fishing. He thought he was going back to be a fisherman of fish. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And what he did here, see, Peter, prior to his denial, had a relationship with Jesus, had a purpose and a calling on his life. And then he denied Jesus and he's weeping outside the gate and all is lost and he goes back to fishing because he no longer has a relationship with Jesus and he no longer has a purpose in the kingdom of God and he doesn't know what to do but to go back to what he knew before, which was fishing. And Jesus comes and he meets him where he's at and he speaks to him where he's at. And three times he says, do you love me? And three times Peter says, you know I love you because friends, even in the midst of what we do wrong, even in the midst of what's been done wrong to us, there is something at our core that loves God. There are times that I have this conversation with God because I feel like ah, I've just made a really bad choice and I've done some things that have poorly impacted myself and have impacted the people around me. And yet I know that at the core of who I am, I love God and I want to follow him. And he knows that about me. And so Jesus not only reinstates Peter to relationship with himself, but he reinstates Peter to purpose in the kingdom. It doesn't matter our sin, our failure, our weakness, our awkwardness, our relational backwardness. He forgives us and he welcomes us into his family and he gives us a place of purpose and partnership in his kingdom. See, friends, 
Our belonging doesn't actually come from what anybody else says about us. Our belonging doesn't come from what we think about us. Our belonging comes from who God says we are. And God says that you are his beloved daughter, created for a purpose. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Time out. You and I believe that God's works are wonderful. We look around this room at all of God's other works and we go, they are, you guys are wonderful. We look out at the ocean and we go, man, his works are wonderful. We watch him speaking through others. We watch him ministering to others, healing others, bringing favor and redemption to situations. And we go, your works are wonderful. And we look in the mirror and we go, eh. We compare our insides with other people's outsides and we go, eh. And friends, one of the things you need to hear today is that God's works, all of them, are wonderful, including you, including every little thing about you, your hair, your hair color, your eye color, your body shape, your energy level, your personality. Are you extroverted? Are you introverted? Are you shy? Are you ashamed of being shy? Are you extroverted? Are you ashamed of talking too much? See, you start comparing notes. You start comparing notes, and the people that you admire are ashamed of the things that you admire. And the, and the things that you're ashamed of of yourself, somebody else admires about you. See, we don't have a clear view of ourselves because the enemy warps the mirror. And God is saying, my works are wonderful. You need to believe that. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, we were created with a beauty that is uniquely our own, that was uniquely what God wanted to put together when he put together you. We are created with a purpose, with a giftedness, with a skill set, with talents, with things that he wants to equip us to use for his kingdom and in the communities that we're a part of. We have something to give. What happens when we're waiting to be affirmed and feel like we belong because somebody else affirms us is that we forget that we actually have something to offer. So we're God's workmanship. First truth, you were created by God with a beauty and a purpose. And if this is one that you're going, that's the one that's hard for me to believe, can I encourage you to listen to some of the podcasts from last year's women's ministry stuff, whether it was our retreat or whether it was the gathering. That's what we were talking about all year was discovering and embracing who God has created us to be. So if that's one that you're going, yep, I'm stuck on that one, uh, really encourage you to do some listening there, some prayer time, ask God to reveal his truth to you about how he's created you. And the second truth this morning that combats the lie that we're not worthy of belonging is that God redeems us from what we deserve. God redeems you from what you deserve. Romans 3, 22 to 24 says this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. So Melissa came up and she said, when you have dry bones, you have no protection. Friends, God wants to be your protection, but he is the life in our bones. So if you're here and you have never accepted his life in your bones, you've never recognized that 
I have sin, and Jesus Christ died to forgive that sin. And when I believe on him as the son of God, he will bring the life of the Holy Spirit into my very bones, and those dry bones will come alive. And then his spirit alive in us begins to give you that immunity to the lies of the enemy and the plans of the enemy and the and the tactics of the enemy, and you begin to have protection because you have the Holy Spirit of the living God in you, then that's where you need to sit and stay until you settle with God if you believe that he is the son of God and he is enough for where you are not enough. If you are here and that's you, I encourage you to talk with someone you came with, to come and talk with me, to talk with someone on the worship team, to talk with someone who you've seen up here being another voice and say, I don't know what it means to have the Holy Spirit living in me. I don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And we would love to walk you through what that looks like, what it looks like to start a relationship with Jesus. Because without that relationship in place, we have no starting place for the rest of what we're talking about. That is the core truth that comes against the lies of the enemy, is that we need to have the life of the living God inside of us. John 1.12 tells us, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of husband's will, but born of God. I love this in light of what we're talking about, because we're talking about what has happened in our past to cause us to believe that we're, we're not worthy of belonging, right? And some of those things are natural. They just, they happen to us. Some of those things are human decision, a decision that we made or somebody else made. Some of those were the will of somebody else, but none of those things matter when it comes to being born again, when it comes to where we truly belong, when it comes to the family that we're a part of, because we are born of God. And so we can, we can push all of the rest of that off, and we have one truth, and the truth is that God is God, and he says we're his child. He says we believe in his, in, we belong in his family. Now, when we try to take that truth as a Bible verse and apply it as a band-aid to a lie that has been wounding us for years, we might miss it because it stays up here at the level of what I think and what I know. You can hear the truth and you can nod and go, yes, Jennifer, I recognize to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But something isn't translating to the place in your gut and your soul where the wound originally happened. And what I want to encourage you to do is just to let it settle. Let the truth settle for a while this weekend and know that God says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So if he is bringing something to mind in you, he's bringing it to mind because he intends to bring it to completion. He intends to bring it to full healing. And later tonight, after we unpack several of these lies, we're going to actually have some prayer time together to ask the Holy Spirit to step into those deep places and do some healing where our, our knowledge can't reach, but his spirit can reach. So we're not going to just leave all that hanging, but we're going to do that tonight after we've exposed some other of the lies. And then there's the classic, John 3, 16, and I always love to add 17, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, for some of us, this sentence right here is the one that we need to just bank on today. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. A lot of us have functioned under a belief, whether we knew it in our head or it's only been a belief in our heart, that God actually sent his son into the world to condemn the world. That what God does is he reminds me of all my sin and he shows me all the things I've done bad. And friends, that's the enemy. 
The enemy is trying to keep your sins and your failures and your wounds fresh in your mind so that you'll continue to believe that you're not worthy of belonging, not with God, not with others, not even with yourself. God came into the world. God sent his son to save the world through him, to save the world through him. This is the gospel. This is the good news, that our worthiness is not about us. It's about him, and he has already paid the price, made up his mind, and he loves us deeply. Matter of fact, Romans 5.8 tells us, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the space between the time that Peter denied Jesus and that Jesus restored him to relationship and to purpose and to partnership, Jesus died. Peter was still outside the gate weeping, aware of his, his failure and his loss and that all was, all was gone. And Jesus died. Jesus didn't die for us when we had it all together. He died for us when we know we need him. And out of that, he restores us. If you look with me in your book, the verse that is uh, printed on this page at the bottom of the page for session two, it says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I would love for you to touch back into this throughout the day. When you have a little bit of quiet space, open it up, read it again. What is it saying? Look at it. What does it say about our belonging? What does it say about the desire that we have for belonging? We are not slaves. We are his children. We have a place to belong. And here's the deal. We want to feel at home in a group of people, right? That's our longing for belonging. We want to feel at home in our family or our workplace or our church. But friends, we can't feel like we belong there until we believe we belong with God. You have to hear this. We can't feel like we belong with others until we believe we belong with God. Out of finding our true identity with him, then we're able to be in relationship as our true selves and find a home for our heart. See, we have taken self-protection and gone into hiding and only brought out our false self. But God has said, let me give life to your dry bones and let me be your protection. And when my Holy Spirit flows through you and you are trusting me to be your protection, then you can let your true self out, even to people who might hurt you, because your value is not found in their response to you. Your value is actually found in who I've already said that you are. There are some things that are already solid, that are already set, that are already decided and functioning out of those things. You can come to a group of people with the ability to receive belonging and community that you don't have unless you believe that you belong with God. Some of us, before we can say that group wasn't very welcoming, need to do business with God and what he's saying to us about our own identity. See, some of us have lived in a place where we need others to tell us that we're valued and we need others to tell us that we belong. And as long as we are waiting for somebody else to affirm my value and my worth and my place in this community, we can't receive it. Even if they're giving it to us, even if they're offering us kindness and humility and love and a place of belonging and they're being welcoming, we can't receive it until we receive it from God. So let's allow God to speak his truth to our hearts today, this weekend, when we go back home we recognize that we're believing the lie again. So that's a thing. Even when God speaks his truth to us, the enemy will come knocking and try to get us with the same lie. And we need to say, no, I know that's not true. 
get off the porch. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that way. Is there anybody who, before we go to break, that I had chatted with, had anything that God is prompting your heart to say or tell or story or anything before we get dismissed right now? I failed speech class, just so you know. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Um, but I've learned to be obedient, and I'm humbled to do this. I feel like um, this past year has been hard for me because my husband was diagnosed with a bone cancer deal. Um, he's in remission now. Very grateful for that. So it's been a year of fear, um, working on fear. So this is what I'm going to share with you because I think we all struggle with fear. The Lord told me, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. That's Psalm 111.10. And what he said to me this year is, the fear of the Lord is bigger than any fear you can conjure up in your mind. Trust me, trust me. And then the words of the song, I am yours, you are mine. We get to keep him. He's really ours. And we're to um, continue to believe it and work on that this weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stacia. So let me pray for you before you go. Father, thank you that you don't uh, leave us as orphans. You didn't set up this world and give us the Bible and then, and then leave. You promised us your Holy Spirit, your counselor, the advocate, the one who would live in our hearts and would remind us of your truth and convict us of sin. And Lord, as the women go from this place, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be very real to them, that this next 45 minutes would be a time of enabling you to speak to them and them to be with you and to just either let some things settle and just be present with you or to process and to write and to journal and to think through and to pray through some of what's been brought up. But whatever this looks like, may this be a time where each woman here has an encounter with you. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.